communist university, but uh, yeah. that's habit for you. Okay. Um, now, I'm not going to deal with the Labour left. I dealt with that um, um, last week. I know that there's been a conference of the Labour Representation Committee, so if any comrades feel sort of um, an urgent desire to inform um, everybody about it, fair enough. But personally, I don't think it's um, particularly newsworthy, apart from maybe just a, a briefest comment on um, our motion uh, calling for um, socialists not to participate in capitalist or a shadow capitalist um, um, governments. Uh, that was, uh, as you would predict, heavily voted down. Uh, I actually think that's a, a defining moment uh, for any left-wing um, organisation. We're not talking about uh, principles that are uh, out there on planet Mars. Uh, we're talking about the tradition, uh, not only of the sort of classic third international, we're talking about the majority position of uh, the socialist international, uh, of which the Labour Party was an important affiliate. Uh, that got voted down with, has to be said, with contempt. And I think that says a great deal uh, about today's uh, left um, in the Labour Party, uh, that they really don't know their own history, don't respect their own history, and just regard that idea as beyond the pale, well, precisely. So they define themselves in that sense as the extreme left of bourgeois politics. Um, so anyway, moving on, um, I don't know whether he said it or he didn't say it. Uh, obviously, there's going to be arguments on both sides. But he could have said it, couldn't he? You know what I'm talking about. We're talking about Donald Trump and the military. And are they losers? Uh, and are they suckers? Uh, these are people that joined up, got injured, got killed. Um, quite frankly, looking at the man's individual record, uh, you know, one would say, well, he's quite capable of saying it, because here you are, like so many people, uh, either from what we in Britain would call the middle class, or uh, what we as Marxists would also call from the capitalist class or the bourgeoisie, uh, Donald Trump as a son of privilege, uh, uh, he had five deferments uh, when it came to the draft. So just like uh, uh, Bush uh, before him, um, who got off, I think, by joining the National Guard Air Force. I'm not au fait enough with American armed forces, but basically he got off not serving uh, in Vietnam. So did Donald. Um, five times, this is the normal uh, way you got uh, uh, out of uh, uh, serving in Vietnam. It was academic uh, um, pursuits. So you do a degree, you do a postdoctoral degree, you do whatever you can, in other words, uh, to avoid being sent out there uh, and uh, actually uh, being fired upon uh, by those damn commies out there in Vietnam. His final deferment uh, was apparently a bone spur. Um, I think I've got one. Lots of older people will have them. Uh, but as a young man, apparently, um, uh, Donald Trump had a bone spar 
in his foot. Uh, it does strike me, in other words, that he had uh, <laughs> good advisors, a, a nice daddy. Uh, he had a privileged existence where if you take uh, an awful lot of people from the ghetto, an awful lot of blacks, uh, they didn't have those advantages and served uh, in Vietnam in vastly uh, disproportionate uh, uh, numbers. So, yeah, loads of uh, uh, American GIs on the front line were black. And uh, uh, basically they came to the conclusion, why am I fighting for freedom and democracy in Vietnam when we don't have real freedom and we don't have real democracy uh, in the United States and I'm treated like shit uh, uh, back home? Um, and, yeah, the white college kids uh, uh, can get off uh, the draft uh, just like Donald Trump and uh, uh, Bush uh, 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 did. Okay, so yeah, he could have said it, um, and that's the point, I think. So I'm not really interested, uh, particularly uh, in did he or didn't he. Um, the, the, the he could have is the more important thing, because what we're dealing with potentially uh, at the end uh, of this year is a disputed... Uh, presidential uh, election uh, and unless one candidate wins overwhelmingly uh, we should expect lots of floridas uh, lots of uh, court challenges uh, and uh, given the u.s military in its present shape although i think uh, donald uh, uh, trump is an admirer of the top brass uh, and of the military as an institution it has to be said that I don't think uh, that that feeling is reciprocated. Uh, all we need to do is look at the uh, pushback that there's been in the US military, both from serving uh, military, but also from retired uh, top military, uh, against them being used in the US cities, against them being used as symbols uh, for uh, Donald Trump's re-election uh, bid. Uh, in other words, what I'm saying is I think it's unlikely that the U.S. military will be used by Donald Trump to keep himself in um, the White House. Um, if he tries that, I don't see uh, the military top brass uh, going along uh, with that idea. I could be wrong, uh, but that's my uh, uh, guess um, in the present uh, situation. Okay, moving on uh, to obviously the big uh, issue of the moment, COVID-19. We're obviously still in the midst of uh, a pandemic. We're starting uh, to approach the winter months, you know, coughs and sneezes spread diseases. And that's not only true with colds and the flu. It's also true, of course, of the flu cold-like uh, COVID-19, uh, which precisely works on the basis uh, that it don't kill that many, uh, but can spread uh, very easily. In other words, it has the real potential uh, to become an endemic uh, disease in the population. And therefore, perhaps, I don't know, we haven't seen any major mutation yet, but maybe uh, uh, it mutates and uh, we just have to put up with it. On the other hand, uh, we're told now that with modern science and genetic engineering, 
uh, we can get to a vaccine very fast. Apparently, the results of the Russian vaccine are promising. Uh, I don't think they killed anybody uh, with it yet, but you never know. Uh, but all of that gives us hope. On the other hand, no one is seriously suggesting uh, mass vaccination uh, for the world's population within the next few months. That's pretty certain. In other words, uh, what we will most likely see is this second wave uh, uh, in the winter. Um, that's going to be true, not only because people huddle together, um, um, given the cold, uh, they go out less, um, they are in confined spaces more, they close the windows and all the rest of it. But also because uh, within a week or so, we're seeing the return of universities. Uh, we've already seen the return. I know that schools have been operating, but we're seeing the formal return uh, of school. Uh, as I understand it from my academic friends and from people who've been uh, students at universities, freshers week, and I know they're not going to be doing it in the same way, uh, but your first period uh, uh, back at university, especially uh, in the first year, these are ideal uh, breeding grounds uh, for diseases. Um, what's the kissing uh, uh, disease? I can't remember it. Um, but anyway, it's from kissing. It's from um, meeting your sexual partner, maybe for life. That's often the case at university. Mononucleosis. What's it called? Mononucleosis. Oh, that's a new one on me. Well, uh, I had it, but not from kissing. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. But there are loads like that. That's really my point. And, uh, yeah, you, you put a load of people together from all over the country. Uh, and that's also the difference between universities, of course, than schools. We're not talking about a specific locality. Uh, we're talking about the whole of Britain, much less now it's true from abroad. But none, nonetheless, here you are. You've got thousands of young people who uh, want to socialise, will socialise, whatever the rules uh, say, and will therefore pass on those diseases. Um, and the danger is, of course, not only will they pass it on to each other, they'll also, you know, pass it on to old gits uh, uh, like me, uh, maybe because they mix in the same town or maybe because when they come back uh, from their winter holidays. Either way, uh, these are ideal conditions uh, for a second spike. We also have the government pushing uh, um, both in the civil service, uh, but also in terms of banking, insurance, i.e. Uh, in, in the big cities, but crucially in the city of London, for office workers to go back. Uh, some offices are, are hugely spacious. Uh, others aren't. Uh, lots aren't. And what we have from the First Division Civil Service, this is very interesting, is basically, well, if we have to observe uh, social spacing, then you're only going to get between 30 and 40% of the workforce back. Um, PCS, uh, which obviously deals with uh, the lower grades in the civil service, uh, they actually say uh, that they will uh, consider strike action uh, if it's forced upon them. Uh, I, I'm not convinced that will happen. On the other hand, local walkouts, um, that is not impossible. And clearly, uh, wildcat actions uh, that don't go through 
uh, uh, the government's uh, tortuous uh, ballot procedure and all the rest of it. Uh, these have become very common, uh, but interestingly, very little reported on. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen, apart from the chances are that we will see a significant spike. And for all that the government says about Britain handling it so well, my understanding still is that the UK, and that includes Scotland, that includes Wales, is at the top of the league uh, in terms of uh, infection rate and death rate, uh, however you want to judge it, in Europe. Uh, maybe Belgium sometimes comes uh, in front. And that's also true, I still think, I'm not quite sure on that, uh, on a global scale, although we are now seeing a real surge uh, in India uh, in particular. But, of course, India uh, has uh, well over a billion people. Uh, but we're not talking about total deaths. We're talking about death rate. Uh, and that's a very different uh, question. Uh, nonetheless, I, I still think it's instructive in terms of uh, what health um, um, systems work. Look at China, uh, of where the outbreak began. Uh, look how many people have died. Look how many people have become... Uh, infected and look how they controlled the spread uh, of that disease and clamped down uh, on the spread uh, of that disease. Clearly they've been successful, not permanently, no one's suggesting that, but compare it with Britain, compare it with the United States, compare it with Spain, Italy, France, uh, and now India. Uh, same sort of population, very different disease uh, dynamic. I'm not advocating the Chinese political model. Uh, nonetheless, I don't think you need a quote unquote authoritarian political system uh, in order to have uh, an efficient battle uh, against COVID-19. Uh, uh, okay, uh, the other thing I just want to comment on vis-a-vis -vis, uh, COVID-19 is the clear evidence of the growth of irrationality. Um, of course, this is against the background of the election of Donald Trump, uh, Modi uh, in India, uh, Abe in uh, Japan, one can carry on, the Philippines, Brazil, the rise of the uh, National Front, or whatever it's called now, National Rally in France, uh, the entry of um, self-confessed fascists uh, into the government of Italy, one can carry on and on and on Brexit. But also, if you look over recent days and weeks, uh, the growth of, uh, quite frankly, far fringe irrationality that clearly, uh, on the other hand, overlaps uh, with the, how should I put it, mainstream far-right uh, that is in government. And what I'm thinking about is the demonstration uh, in London uh, the other day, I looked up good article, by the way, in HuffPost. If one wants to look at these people, these uh, people are advertising um, authoritative medical opinion uh, that uh, says that COVID-19 is a fake uh, or, or the uh, wearing of masks is completely unnecessary or actually a health risk and that this is a big plot. Um, in order to do something or rather, you know, control the pop. All of those things have an element of truth. Of course, governments do use crises in order to extend their powers. And we on the left 
shouldn't dismiss uh, that. Nevertheless, if you look at the ideas of these people, uh, what's amazing is, yes, they are believed. Um, and in that sense, I'm reminded, I haven't read it for some considerable time, and I don't own a copy, uh, and that's uh, George, George Lucas's uh, uh, book, written in the 30s, I'm not sure of the date, but the growth of irrationality, he's looking at the growth of Hitlerism and um, uh, fascism and the far right uh, in the 1930s, and that, of course, went hand in hand with racist theory uh, and all sorts of uh, conspiracy uh, theories uh, about the Jews and the Bolsheviks and all the rest of it. I've also been reading up, and it might be worthwhile, an article, if you look at some of Trump's uh, supporters. Uh, Gabby might uh, know more about this than I do, uh, but a lot of them are going round with uh, uh, this uh, T-shirt with a Q, with a non, Q, a non. And uh, apparently, again, this is my Wikipedia reading, so we obviously need to do some more research on, on this. I'm not saying I'm particularly fascinated by the idea itself, but people are believing it, and purportedly uh, Trump plays uh, to um, some of their narrative. Uh, the idea is that there's a there's someone in the deep state called Q, Q Anon, they're anonymous, and they are letting uh, people on the internet into the secrets of the deep state. Apparently, Donald Trump is in a titanic battle uh, with the US establishment, and at various points he's uh, poised uh, to order mass arrests of the paedophiles and the traitors and uh, those in under the control of dark forces. Uh, apparently, this is why uh, the forthcoming presidential election in November is so important. This will coincide with Donald Trump's storm um, of where he issues orders uh, for the arrest of these uh, these traitors. Um, uh, either way, the Trump camp either dismisses these ideas, some uh, on the fringes of the Trump movement, and I'm including candidates uh, for, you know, state uh, governors and the Senate at a local level and all the rest of it, have been caught, you know, wearing uh, Q jewellery uh, or making Q statements. Clearly the whole thing's barking, uh, but no less barking uh, in its own way. Uh, than the protocols of uh, the elders of uh, Zion. And what we need to understand about these things is that people want to believe them because it's convenient to believe them. One, it gives them an explanation of the world, but two, it also provides them uh, with um, something to mobilize around. Hence, we've had demonstrations, believe it or not, not only in Trafalgar Square, uh, against the lockdown, against wearing masks and all the rest of it. We've actually had demonstrations outside Buckingham Palace uh, against uh, um, Andrew, um, Andrew Windsor uh, and his links uh, with this giant conspiracy, uh, because obviously in, in this case there are real links uh, with Jeffrey Epstein, whether Jeffrey Epstein, of course, is part of some giant uh, conspiracy. Uh, that's uh, um, another matter uh, entirely. But the main point isn't that these ideas are silly, but people believe it uh, and, in that sense, want to believe it uh, for political uh, uh, reasons. Um, okay. Um, extinction Rebellion. Um, 
I think, um, you know, well-chosen target. Was it up in Broxbourne? Anyway, somewhere up, uh, I'm not saying up north, you know what I mean, north of London, uh, but also in other uh, locations. I think maybe in Glasgow, maybe in Manchester. But anyway, uh, the Murdoch print uh, um, uh, works uh, were blockaded, hence the Times was late, uh, uh, the sun was late, but also I think they might have been printing uh, the um, the Daily Mail. I'm not sure who prints what. Uh, either way, uh, a number of uh, mainstream papers were delayed, um, and that, of course, has provoked um, Pretty Patel, uh, Boris Johnson, in talking uh, about democracy and suppression of freedom um, of uh, speech. Um, well, I believe in uh, the freedom of speech. I also believe in uh, a left-wing uh, media uh, and, uh, um, yeah, uh, and challenging the ideas uh, of the bourgeoisie. So what we're talking about here is not the closure of the sun <laughs> or the times. We're talking about a delay. Um, and I think that that's uh, perfectly legit legitimate, indeed laudable, uh, given the role uh, of uh, the Murdoch press uh, when it comes to the climate and all the rest of it. After all, his own son uh, resigned sort of in protest, didn't he, uh, from the board uh, over the attitude of uh, um, the Murdoch press, the Murdoch media, I should say, uh, when it came or when it's come uh, to global warming, fires in Australia, um, you know, rising sea levels and all the rest um, um, of it. I note, uh, having mentioned uh, also uh, government clampdown on demonstrations, I readily admit that I'm a um, lockdown observer. Uh, I've been observant uh, of the lockdown since, um, well, before it began, and I shall continue uh, to do that. Uh, on the other hand, you know, when I look at demonstrations, uh, you know, and those that organize them facing £10,000 fines, uh, I say precisely uh, that what is going on is an opportunity. And I always thought myself, I was wrong, uh, that maybe Israel would choose its moment to annex parts of uh, the West Bank, uh, you know, the settlements plus parts of the Jordan Valley, precisely at this moment, uh, because uh, protests would be limited by government uh, lockdown and effective bans on mass demonstrations. Well, that's been impossible uh, to impose on Black Lives uh, Matter, and it's been impossible to impose uh, on Extinction Rebellion. And their argument is that we've held off for six months. Uh, governments have done nothing, nothing uh, over the last six months about global warming, uh, they say that uh, the pandemic is uh, a national crisis, but surely global warming uh, is a global crisis. Something needs to be done. And as they say, it needs to be now, not tomorrow, not next year, not the year after. Well, of course, you can't do everything now. But quite frankly, you look around the world and has any government done anything genuinely serious no, they haven't. Uh, uh, this government is determined to get people back to work, back making uh, a profit. That's how the capitalist system uh, works. Uh, that's their real agenda. That's what they give real uh, priority 
uh, two. Okay. We also have uh, uh, not only uh, the Tories, of course, attacking Extinction uh, Rebellion. We have the Labour Party uh, in the form of Starmer wanting to show what a responsible politician he is. He wants uh, his articles to be run uh, in the Murdoch press by the Sun in the Times. Uh, he wants to come over uh, as a safe pair of hands. So he, too, has joined in. Uh, with this narrative about uh, an attack on democracy and the freedom uh, of um, of speech. Well, those that don't have a daily paper, uh, what are they meant to do other than go on the streets? Uh, hey, it's a rhetorical question. Okay, we also have uh, an interesting story. Um, I think this, I mean, I don't know who he is. Uh, is it uh, Rupert uh, Reed or is it Rupert Reed? Uh, an organiser of um, Extinction Rebellion. I don't know what his official position is. Do they have official positions? Either way, he's uh, attacked parasitic elements uh, that have joined uh, Extinction Rebellion. Apparently, I didn't read it, the Times ran an expose of the SWP, which has been urging people to participate in Extinction Rebellion protests. Well, since the beginning, uh, uh, you know, it's like, well, what do you expect that, you know, anyone who's been on any of those demonstrations of school kids on a Friday will see the SWP there, uh, along with various other uh, left-wing uh, uh, factions. Of course, uh, they've been, um, how should you put it, going along. Uh, the idea of being a parasite, what a terrible, terrible term. And apparently that's also, much to their delight, I'm sure, uh, includes the Young Communist League. That's the youth wing of uh, the uh, Communist Party of Britain, the Morning Stars Party. Apparently they turned up with a big banner, um, socialism or extinction. Well, I, I agree uh, with the sentiments of that banner, and I'm glad that they went along, and I'm glad that they caused a conversation, an argument. Um, uh, and apparently what's good and what's gratifying about it is how many people in Extinction Rebellion supported uh, the right of the Young Communist League and the right of the SWP to participate and how many of them actually said, yes, we need to get rid of the capitalist system. And so what you have in Extinction Rebellion is those that I don't like. I mean, rebellion to me um, is too soft. Uh, but anyway, you've got a, an argument going on uh, between those that uh, want a change of system and those, I think, who want to work through the system. So apparently sort of official extinction rebellion um, includes amongst those who want to uh, sponsor, move through Parliament, um, a climate emergency bill. Uh, that will, of course, find backing. Uh, from the Green Party, I, Caroline Lucas. It will also find backing from some in the Labour Party, maybe all in the Labour Party. Maybe Keir Starmer uh, will try to straddle both camps. Um, either way, this government will not legislate it in. Uh, but the danger is, of course, that Extinction Rebellion can get channeled into um, the uh, politics of Starmerism because it offers realism. Starmer could... Uh, form a government next general election. He could, uh, um, you know, find himself inside number 10. That's quite realistic. Uh, overthrowing capitalism? Oh, uh, that's a much bigger ask. Okay. 
So again, just looking at the left, it is interesting to me uh, the difficult line that they're having to tread uh, celebrating Black Lives Matter demonstrations, which they initially stood clear of because of COVID-19, but clapping them, welcoming them, celebrating them. Same with uh, um, Extinction Rebellion, and at the same time urging um, school teachers, uh, university lecturers to resist the authorities reopening schools, reopening universities until it's totally safe. You'll never find anywhere at any time that's totally safe. So I go along with the demand uh, for masks and uh, hand sanitizers and, and one-way corridors. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, but you cannot have 100% safety. Um, so I think the SWP yeah, is caught on the horns of backing protests on the one side, which it likes and wants to encourage, and at the same time, narrow trade unionism, um, uh, which is more looking after, I think, uh, the bargaining power of the NEU and the UCU. I might be wrong, but I think I'm right. Okay, lastly, um, just wanted to round off on Scotland. Um, we've now had, uh, not least due to the perceived handling of COVID-19 uh, by the um, Holywood government, by Nicola Sturgeon and her ministers, compared with Boris Johnson, we've had, uh, in opinion polls, a lead, not a, not a clear, decisive lead. Nevertheless, we've had a lead of two, three, four, five percent, uh, uh, i.e., a reversal of the 2014 uh, result, which was 45, 55 for maintaining uh, the union. And we've also had uh, Nicola Sturgeon basically saying uh, that if she gets a majority and people are talking about a landslide early next year, in the um, Scottish uh, elections, um, her, she will use her majority uh, to put forward uh, the demand and the question and how you would run a second referendum. Now, of course, we all know uh, that when it comes down to it, uh, Westminster has the final say. And what Boris Johnson has been turning around has been quoting, I think, it was Alex Salmon, but it might have been the SNP and it might have been the yes side when they said this will be a once in a lifetime uh, referendum. Well, yeah, it's been six years. And uh, OK, maybe um, if you're six, that's once in a lifetime or five, that's once in a lifetime. Nonetheless, um, people surely are allowed to change their minds. And quite frankly, you know, I mean, I do not support referendums. I do not support yes, no uh, to complex questions like that. And in my view, it ought to be a democratic right. It would be in a federal uh, republic, which is what we fight for, uh, for Scotland or Wales. If there was a, a national question uh, in Britain under those circumstances, it would be the right of the Welsh Assembly uh, or the Scottish Parliament uh, to simply put up their hands uh, in a parliamentary session and say, we vote for independence and we want to negotiate uh, with the uh, the government in Westminster, the uh, Republican government in Westminster, 
for independence. That ought to be their right. So while I'm not going to bang the drum uh, uh, for um, uh, Nicola Sturgeon's second referendum, um, I think it would be wrong to oppose it because you oppose referendums. I, I don't think that would be the right thing to do. I think it would be right to support it, but at the same time say that we don't support referendums. Um, that doesn't uh, tie us to voting one way or the other. doesn't tie us to anything uh, when it comes to a referendum. After all, we don't know what the question is. We don't know who's going to write the question. Uh, but we certainly oppose Boris Johnson or anyone else who uses that argument um, well, Alex Salmon said uh, in 2014, uh, who should decide this matter? It should be the people in Scotland. Uh, they should have the democratic right. But this shouldn't be simply a matter uh, for those in Scotland. Uh, it's also up to those in England and Wales to make their views known. And in my view, we should be fighting for unity of the working class across Britain, and indeed we, uh, argue for the unity not only of the working class across Europe in a communist party, uh, but we also argue uh, for the unity of the global working class in a global uh, party. Uh, that's what Comintern uh, was. It was an international communist party. CPGB, when it was formed, was the British section of the international communist party. So, um, yes, yeah, so also just to add uh, an extra thing, obviously, that's going uh, for Sturgeon, and that's the prospect of a hard uh, Brexit. I have to say that logically uh, that should actually make the idea of Scottish independence highly unattractive. Um, there you are, you've got Scotland's biggest trading partner, uh, that's what it would be. Uh, Northern Ireland, crucially though, England and Wales, crucially though, England, and you've got some sort of customs barrier, uh, paperwork, um, a, a, a splitting of what was historically established a single uh, market. Uh, to me, that does not bode well uh, for the Scottish economy, uh, part of an Ireland um, on the fringes um, of, of uh, Europe. Um, so to me, um, you know, um, I don't think Scotland will be an island, um, you know, um, but nonetheless, um, in, in terms of uh, Brexit, we all know that the, the country that will suffer most from Brexit, it's not Belgium, it's not Holland, it's not Britain, it's Ireland. And uh, an independent Scotland would be in exactly that same position. Um, England would suffer less, Scotland would suffer more. And what I would fear, I don't, you know, I'm not, not saying these words lightly, what I fear under those circumstances uh, is a bitter divorce and what Connolly predicted uh, when Ireland was divided, a carnival of reaction on both sides of the border. There's this image at the moment that the SNP is social democratic, cuddly. It's a nice sort of nationalism. I think that's a fatal, fatal mistake. All nationalisms have the potential uh, to morph over into naked chauvinism. Uh, we've already seen signs of that in Scotland with England out. 
um, and English keep out of Scotland vis-a-vis uh, COVID-19. I know that's fringe, but the danger is that can become mainstream politics. And the opposite is true. The Tories have been pushing not so much in recent years British nationalism, but English nationalism. That's what uh, David Cameron did to the Labour Party uh, after uh, the 2014 referendum. They didn't uh, reply with a celebration of British nationalism. Uh, they stabbed the Labour Party in the back with English uh, nationalism, uh, with uh, um, uh, Cameron talking about an English parliament, an English representation. So expect that and expect more. Uh, uh, so that those sections of the left uh, that um, wish on Scottish independence, I, I just think, have given up any sense of um, historic memory, um, any sense of strategy, and quite frankly will follow anything, anything, as long as it moves. That seems to be uh, the position, unless I suppose it's nakedly and openly reactionary. And even then, just look at the Brexit uh, uh, campaign with some uh, sections of the left lining up alongside Nigel Farage. I mean, I could hardly believe it, uh, but uh, the, com <laughs> the Communist Party of Great Britain, Marxist-Leninist, uh, lining up with Nigel Farage. Um, uh, what's his name? I can never get his buggers, the bugger's name. Who's the ex-MP? Someone help me. George. Come on, someone help me. George Galloway. Galloway. George Galloway. Excuse me. Oh. George Galloway. <laughs> Talk about, thank you, exactly. Talk about an embarrassed uh, uh, mind uh, uh, drop. But yeah, George Galloway uh, lining up alongside Nigel Farage. Yeah, and it, it reminds me in that sense, uh, when I was a member of the official CPGB back in the first referendum, seeing um, Enoch Powell speak alongside uh, Tony Benn. So, yeah, the left has got a long history of not only following what looks progressive, uh, but quite frankly, also lining up alongside nakedly reactionary uh, uh, politicians. In other words, the left has lost, as I said, it, its 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 use, which is to be the historic memory of the class and to provide a strategic rudder uh, to the working class, to act as a vanguard uh, for the working class, uh, not as a to use a phrase, a parasite on anything uh, that moves. So, yeah, uh, the left in the main has lined up behind Scottish independence and their excuses that whatever does British imperialism harm, and it would do it harm, is good. Uh, that's just a crazy uh, uh, idea. Um, I mean, I'm not... Uh, at its worst, it would be saying that COVID-19... Uh, did imperialism bad, which it has. So it hardly strengthened the hand of imperialism. So should we go, should we go around spreading COVID-19? It's a stupid argument because we hope to inherit. Uh, we hope to build socialism. And you cannot build socialism um, on the basis of the balkanization of the world. That's why we call for European unity. And we called, of course, for European Union unity historically. Uh, before World War I, that was the position of the Bolsheviks, uh, the majority in the uh, Socialist International. 
That was the position of the Communist International um, towards Lenin's death. I know it's at the, I know it was at the prompting of Leon Trotsky, but they maintained that position until 1928. I think that's the correct uh, uh, position. Would we advocate the breakup of the United States as being some step forward? Well, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I would say that, no, the working class needs to fight on the basis of the biggest states. That gives us the biggest possibility of coming to power on something that we can save, something that which we can advance from. If we come to power in the equivalent of Paris, and we don't go to the rest of France, and we don't spread it from France uh, to Europe, we are dead. And nowadays, I think that applies uh, uh, to a socialism um, in uh, Great Britain, and you could even add uh, the British Isles. It applies many, many, many times over uh, with Scotland, with a population of five million which is completely economically dependent on England and is completely dependent uh, on the EU, the United States, uh, and all the rest of it. It's got no possibility of an independent existence. And I'm not saying that in any chauvinistic fashion. British Isles could not survive uh, a naval blockade uh, for more than a few weeks. Uh, I, I think that's just a simple statement. Uh, of fact. Anyway, as I said, we oppose referendums, but we support the right of Scotland uh, to self-determination. That isn't the ultimate answer. It's a weapon in our armory. And the more we're successful in winning the unity of the working class in the British Isles, specifically uh, in Great Britain, uh, the less importance uh, that demand has. Uh, so we want to be in a position, even if you've got that demand, uh, that so united is the working class that when it comes down to it, you just don't bother uh, uh, with it. So we're not federalists. Uh, we are for centralised uh, uh, states. We are for a centralised republic. Of course, we're in favour, what do they call it in the EU, EU? subsidiarity. Uh, we're in favour of local government, we're in favour of devolving powers down as far as possible, as far as appropriate, but you try to tackle global warming or COVID-19 without central uh, coordination. Uh, you're not likely to manage it very well, uh, to put it mildly, and I'll finish with that. Thank you, Stone.